Well, in the most recent wedding that I had the privilege to officiate, um, I sat down with the couple to do some initial ceremony planning. And as we did that, it was a case where my wife and I knew the bride and their family, uh, but hadn't yet got the opportunity to meet the groom. And so as we sat down, we began you know, with wanting to hear their story of how they met and got engaged and moved into marriage and all of this. And uh, as we meet, as typical with these first meetings, uh, we recognize as we prepare for a wedding that we're not just preparing for a wedding day, but more importantly, a lifetime of marriage together. And so I asked them uh, about, because of looking at the bigger picture, not just the role of God and faith in your wedding day, but in your whole marriage, what does that look like for you? And they uh, expressed back that, that God and faith uh, was very important to them, and they wanted God to be central in their marriage. And so I encouraged them that, uh, about the importance of getting involved in a local church uh, where uh, they live, are going to live back in Texas. And so they responded to that, well... The church thing is a bit of a challenge for us uh, because the groom's uh, Sunday games. To which I'm thinking, I didn't say it out loud, but I'm like, okay, I guess this guy takes his uh, Sunday softball season pretty seriously. Okay, whatever. So we move on. We have the rest of our meeting. And as we're walking out of the church doors, we're having some kind of back-end small talk, just walking out of, the, out of the building. And I didn't catch it during the meeting for whatever. And so I asked, his name was Cody. I said, so Cody, what is it you do for a living uh, down there in Texas? Uh, to which he responds, well, I play NFL football for the Houston Texans. <laughs> I guess that's a pretty important game to be at on a Sunday. <laughs> and so then I, we kind of have a little laugh as I tell him what my softball my hypothesis as to why he couldn't do uh, church. And so anyway, um, here's a picture of the happy couple here. And uh, well, he doesn't look too happy. <laughs> looks like he's ready to tackle someone for calling him a softball player, I think. Uh, but yeah, you can see me there behind the 300-pound uh, uh, linebacker, and uh, if you guys know, some of you know these people, Mallory Leggett, the six-foot-two with heels volleyball player. Uh, yep, there I am. Right? Yeah, there he is. That's the guy officiating. My wife said after that wedding, she's like, "I have never seen you look like such a small man." <laughs> And so for me, as I uh, found out what Cody actually did for a living out there in the lobby, uh, I didn't realize, it was kind of an embarrassing moment where I didn't realize I was sitting there with an NFL football player. And so for me, you could say it was a case of mistaken identity where I had no idea who it is I was actually talking to. And today we begin a series looking at the subject of prayer where one of the key reasons we give attention to prayer in our services and the topic regularly in our preaching series is, is because we recognize that even though week after week after week we claim to want to follow God, we can all slip into a case of mistaken identity. We can all slip into a case of mistaken identity as to who it is we're actually talking to. Sure, a prayer here in church, or maybe a little prayer to get a, a meal going, or maybe a ceremonial prayer to get uh, an event kick-started. But when we slip into that laissez-faire approach to prayer, then we suffer from a case of mistaken identity, where we miss 
who it is we're actually talking to, that we're getting the gift of getting to talk to the almighty God of the universe, and that with that, he actually hears us, he responds and answers prayer. And so given this, we as a church, a whole church, we're gonna be moving, as we move into the season of fall, we're also gonna be moving into a season of prayer together as a church. That we wanna grow in our realization of first, who it is we're even talking to, and then with that, what is it do we even talk with him about? And then from there, how do we talk with him? How do we actually pray? And then even more importantly than all those understandings, most importantly, that we would actually be praying, that we'd actually begin praying or praying more as a result of what we're gonna be looking at in the weeks ahead. And so one way to help you grow in this area that we are embarking on as a church is we are, one, we are kicking off a new season of Grow Together Small Groups that are going to be rallying around four sessions on the topic of prayer using Mark Batterson's New York Times bestseller, The Circle Maker. And uh, the uh, commitment is a short term, four weeks, but we recognize and trust that while the commitment is short term, the impact on your life and faith will be a long term one. And so to look at a little more about that, I invite you to take this insert out of your bulletin uh, just to understand what that's going to be about. And this is an opportunity to sign up for that. If you're already in a Grow Together small group, there's no need to fill this out. You can just anticipate spending some time with this subject matter in the fall. Uh, but if you're not in a group, whether it's been a while since you've been in a group or maybe you just haven't had the opportunity to or maybe just newer to the life of the church, uh, it's in these groups that we actually make sure the church is being the church in one another's lives, in that uh, we get past just sitting shoulder to shoulder on a weekend service and actually um, live up to being the church as we form relationships with one another that encourage our most important relationship with God. And so the medium for that here at first is groups. And so you can sign up for that here today. If you do, you'll be in good company. Over 100 people signed up last week to be a part of one of these new groups. And so you can sign up on that form. And then on your way out of service, there's some baskets in the back of the room that you can drop those in. And so in these groups, we're going to be looking at a great study at not just the whys, but some really good practical hows as to get us, how do we actually get to praying more in our lives. And then with that, in this room, over the next several weeks. We're gonna be focusing on the various what's. What is it that we can actually be praying about? Uh, the various areas we wanna encircle in prayer in our lives. We're gonna ask God to work in and bless. And while there are several stories that we could look to, both in scripture and in Christian history as this idea of circling something in prayer, arguably the most well-known one and the one that was actually the seed for this series for Pastor Wayne, this whole idea of prayer for us moving ahead, uh, comes from the book of Joshua. And so I invite you to grab your Bible. And if you don't have one of your own, there's one in a pew rack in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible at all, uh, we want you to have one. And so we invite you to take that as a gift from us to you today. And so we're gonna be looking at a story of God's people in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament takes up the first two-thirds of the Bible. And the story is hundreds of years prior to Jesus coming, which is the back one-third of the Bible, the New Testament. And in this story in the Old Testament, we find that God's people, the Israelites, um, prior to this, were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. 400 years as slaves. When God, through Moses led the Israelites out of slavery and toward this land that God had been promising them 
uh, for centuries. And so as they are transitioning from being slaves and making their way to the promised land, uh, the Israelites um, struggled with faith in the midst of that. Because of their lack of faith, they found themselves actually wandering in the desert, stuck in the desert for 40 years uh, for a whole generation to pass away. And so after that, a new generation was coming up, uh, and Moses' successor with that generation was someone by the name of Joshua. And Joshua was going to fulfill that opportunity to take that promised land where they would settle uh, in in the centuries ahead. And so the first stop on that journey into the promised land, the first city they come to is the city of Jericho, where the way that God asked them to take that city Uh, Rather than a traditional battle, you might say, he asked them to, in faith and in prayer, or excuse me, in his power, to march around that city seven times for seven days. And if you're familiar with that story, uh, you know that on the seventh lap of the seventh day, uh, God brought those walls tumbling down, ensuring them victory over that city, all because of faith that God had the power to do it. And so we're going to look more specifically at that particular story as, again, that was the seed for this whole series. Uh, But I share with you today because it's going to set up the story we're going to look at here in just a moment in Scripture, but also reminding us that God has called us to encircle our community. That if you've been with us over the last several weeks or if you haven't, uh, God has called this church, he's called us over the next 10 years to reach 10% of our community, we call the vision 10, that that's what God is calling us to do. And we don't know exactly how all of that's gonna play out, but we do know with certainty the very first step to that plan, and that is prayer. That's absolutely prayer. So that's the series title, Pray for 10. And so with that, on October 25th and 6th, the topic will be specifically that weekend, how do we pray for our community? And to actually back that up with actual prayer, we're also going to have an event that day called Circle the City, where we will gather as one church in six separate locations to collectively and in unity pray for our city. So that'll be October 26th at 5 p.m. If you've got a digital calendar, you want to punch that in right now, uh, you'll have more information on that in the weeks ahead, but it'll be a 30-minute prayer if you've got to block out the time. So it's a 30-minute deal uh, where we will pray for our city in various locations, one prayer. But today, as we look at all these different things, we recognize that uh, even within the bigger community, there are smaller circles that are in our lives that we also want God uh, to be involved in. And so next week, we're gonna look at what does it look like to just pray for our own stuff, our own life, our own family and friends, our immediate sphere of influence. What does it look like to pray to God for that? And then bump up one circle bigger. What does it look like for us to be praying uh, for ourselves as a church? And then as mentioned, our community. And then lastly, not forgetting that God, uh, through Jesus, as his great commission, as we looked at last week, said we are called to the ends of the earth. And so what does it look like for actually to pray for something as large as our very globe, our whole world? And so that will be in the weeks ahead. But today, we want to start our series by just, first of all, let's make the case for prayer. Let's make a case for prayer that that's something we should be doing. And then we want to give you just some guidance to actually get you walking out of the doors today, praying more as a result of being here than you would have maybe had you not been here this morning. Some real practical guidance. So with that, we're going to start uh, to look at our story here in a moment with, you could say, some reverse psychology. You know what reverse psychology is? We kind of flip it on itself, uh, that the easy thing would be for us to start looking at the topic of prayer by saying, okay, here's what happens when we pray. 
Here's what happens when we pray. This is what happens. But instead, we're going to flip it and we're going to look at what is at stake if we don't pray? What happens to us as individuals and as a church when we don't pray, when we don't act as people of prayer? And so um, we're going to pick up that story uh, in Joshua chapter 7 where, again, they're taking the promised land one city at a time. They have just defeated their first city of Jericho and they're heading towards their second city, the city of Ai. Uh, but little sidebar here. On that first battle, God wanted them as the first fruits of the promised land. He wanted them to surrender and submit all the spoils of war, if you will, to God and to him. And from there, uh, there was a guy by the name of Achan and his family who did not obey this. They took a little bit of the spoils from battle for themselves and hid them in their tent. And as a result of this, for not obeying the Lord, uh, God was not happy with the Israelites. And so, given this, picking up that story in verse 2, Joshua 7. I know it's a long introduction, but we're there now. Here we go. All right. Verse 2. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Haven to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or 3,000 men to take it, and do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. So essentially, the spies go up. Uh, they pretty much conclude it's going to be a slam dunk. It's not going to be a problem for them. Uh, this battle is going to be, as my kids say, my house, you have little kids, they might say it, easy peasy. This battle's going to be easy peasy. Okay, so with that, verse 4. So about 3,000 went up that day. But they were routed or defeated by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them, then chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people, the hearts of the Israelites, melted in fear and became like water. Now, the reason for this defeat, uh, as would be revealed in subsequent verses if we were to look at it, uh, and is widely accepted, is that because of the sin of Achan, or you might have heard the expression, because there was sin in the camp, have you ever heard that? Because there was sin in the camp, the Israelites were defeated. And this is true. However, there's actually another reason that an even bigger reason, really, that the Israelites were defeated on that day. Uh, and, and, and actually, it could have been avoided. Even in the face of Achan's sin, this defeat could have been avoided. D.A. Carson, world-renowned Bible scholar, uh, in his commentary in the book of Joshua, points it out this way. He says that it was a clear violation of God's instructions to Joshua at his commissioning, which you can find in Numbers 27, it was a clear violation of God's instructions to initiate battle without first consulting the Lord. The spies were counting on a contingent of soldiers rather than the Lord, not the Lord. In other words, had Joshua and the Israelites sought the Lord, i.e., 
prayed? Had they prayed to God? God could have revealed first and addressed to them the sin in the camp prior to the battle that they lost rather than following as the story ends up unfolding. That was what was at stake for not praying. They could have sought the Lord to prepare for battle rather than arrogantly sending in just a contingent of men. And they could have saved the lives of 36 men and they could have had victory on that day based on the Lord's provision rather than just their own strength and understanding. And all of it because they failed to consult the Lord, all because they failed to pray. That was the result. That's what was at stake because they did not pray. In fact, it was this story that we looked to to begin uh, the leadership retreat and then a time of prayer after that 10 was established and now is established for us as an entire church that we recognized then and we recognize here today together that we are going into battle. As we said last week, we are going into battle to push forward God's kingdom in our community in the face of some of the negativity of our world's kingdom and the world's way in our community. And our understanding for what this looks like uh, comes out of 2 Corinthians 10. It says that, for though we live in this world, the kingdoms of this world all around us, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. And so that weapon is prayer. That weapon is prayer. And thus, we go into all that God wants to do in us and through us, more than, as it says in Ephesians 3.20, more than we could ask or imagine with prayer. We do it by, we coin this little phrase, uh, by preparing for battle. You like that? <laughs> kind of like brunch, only not as tasty. Um, same idea. This is what we do around here, so Yeah. Uh, yeah, we want to prepare for battle. We want to prepare for what God has for us uh, in our community by preparing, if you will. Because, again, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. Psalm 27 says it this way, that some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 44 says, I put no trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory. But you, O Lord, give us victory. Or again, Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Therefore, Proverbs 16, 3. We are to commit to the Lord whatever we do, and then he will establish our plans. And so the takeaway for all this for us today as we look at this loss at the battle of AI and all these verses is that how many victories, how many victories in your life, in your family's life, in your friend's life, in our church's life, in our community's life, in our world are not given that the Lord longs to give us simply because that will not happen because we do not pray. Because we fail to trust God, because we fail to pray. Mark Batterson, in the uh, Circle Maker small group study, he puts it this way. He says, the greatest tragedy in life is prayers that go unanswered simply because 
they go unasked. Then goes on to say, God does not answer 100% of the prayers that you don't ask. Or, if you prefer to Mark Batterson, MC Hammer. We got to pray. Pray, got to pray. Pray. And don't leave me hanging if you know the rest of it. We got to pray just to make it. Oh, come on. This is supposed to be the party service. That's what I call 920. Y'all are supposed to be my friends. Leaving me up here doing hammer time all by myself. Just wrong. And so, we prepare on behalf of our families, our friends, our immediate sphere of influence, our church, our community, and our world, but it all has to start with you. It has to start with we, you and me, us actually praying in our lives. And so to get us on that road, I wanna get us out of here with some initial guidance to actually move the ball down the field in the area of prayer starting today in your life. So if you're a note taker, these might be some things worth jotting down uh, to help you actually pray more and get praying in your life. So here we go. First, as we said earlier, we gotta start by recognizing and remembering who it is we're even talking to and talking with. Like in my case, the mistaken identity, I thought I was just talking to some guy who took his softball season a little too serious. When in actuality, I was talking to a guy who could throw me further than I could throw a softball given the contest between the two. We forget and we must remember that God is the almighty powerful God of the universe who listens to, responds to, and actually answers prayer. A.W. Tozer puts it this way. He says, what comes into your mind when you think about God, what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And the reason for that is because what you think in your image of who God is will then naturally unfold into how you pray and frankly, if you pray, based on how you view the God of the universe. And so, we gotta remember first who it is we're talking to. Then, once we have that squared up, once you square up who it is we're actually talking with, secondly, prayer then becomes your first response rather than your last resort. I mean, think about it. How often do we try functionally and practically everything under the sun in a situation, and then only after every other option is run dry do we go desperate to God asking him to do something. For example, maybe for you, it's your job. And I know from talking with some of you that you work in places that can be real pressure cookers to perform. And so what do you do? You know, you recognize your livelihood and your family's on the line. You work extra hours, you worry and you worry some more and your blood pressure goes up. And only after you've done everything you can do and every earthly option has run dry, well then you go to God as a last resort. Or maybe it's in uh, a marriage relationship or some other relationship or a parent-child relationship where uh, you're in a situation where a misunderstanding unfolds into an argument and a disagreement and it gets really heated and before it escalates into you saying the things you said you'd never say again, what if you step back a few stages earlier in that process and you just stopped? You just stop, and rather than prayer being a last resort when everything falls apart, what if right in the middle, right in the beginning, as a first response, you ask for God's help? 
It might start off just, you know, you quietly in your heart just asking God for his help, but maybe you'd be so bold as to invite that other person to pray with you about it. Um, What would it look like to make prayer our first response rather than our last resort? That it's not just a fire extinguisher that we get and break the glass in the case of an emergency, but our first response in everything we face. Thirdly, as you begin to pray, you and your perspective will also begin to change. Richard Foster, he says it simply, to pray is to change. Synonymous, to pray is to be changed. To illustrate this a little bit, uh, back in high school, I had a a good buddy uh, by the name of Dave who also got me in a good deal of trouble. Uh, We all have these friends, you know, it's the friend that's like, yep, I'm gonna be bailing him out of jail in a couple years. Uh, So maybe you have those friends. Maybe you are that friend. I don't know. But (laughs) anyway, Dave had back in high school a 1991 black Toyota Celica, which it was a pretty cool car. It wasn't just any line of Celicas, but it was the Celicas, if you remember, that that the lights popped up, like like Kit from Knight Rider. Yeah? You know you all should watch and waste more life watching 80s television, I think. But anyway, um, so it was a pretty cool car for the time. But one thing that wasn't cool about the car was that it had no heat. <laughs> it had ice-cold air conditioning, but no working heat. And so here's what we would do, I guess just to illustrate how much of a dork I really was, uh, M, that <laughs> we would, in the dead of winter, we'd get in the car And we'd start the car, and before actually going anywhere, we would, for five minutes, turn the AC on full blast, full fan, and we would just sit there, and we would freeze, and our teeth would chatter, and we'd just hold ourselves for five minutes, and then after five minutes, we would slam off the AC, and I promise you, it felt like all of a sudden, (laughs) we had heat. And it was incredible how in the dead of winter, in the same desperate situation, how just having that AC and then turn it on gave us a completely different perspective. There's something powerful, here's the point, that happens not only when we invite God to do something in the future about a circumstance, but what we experience when we zoom out, if you will, from our current perspective on our current temporary circumstance with our temporary perspective, and we allow and invite God to give us his eternal perspective. Because I'll tell you what I've experienced in those moments of prayer, not always, but more often than not, that instantaneously God blesses us with a eternal perspective in the midst of our temporary circumstance and temporary perspective. And it's a gift he gives us when we pray. A change in perspective that gives us his peace that transcends our world's understanding. And so prayer will change you and change your perspective. Fourth, and this is where we're going to get real practical, identify where and when you will pray. Mark Batterson says, if you can't answer the question, where and when do you pray? well, then you're not praying. And so in the Bible, we have examples of this. We see for Daniel, it was praying through an open window 
toward Jerusalem. For Habakkuk, it was climbing a watchtower. And for Jesus himself, it was early in the morning in a remote place. Or maybe you just need to change, maybe you have a where and when, but you just need to change it up because you're in a a prayer rut, uh, you could say. You just need to change your where or identify your where and when. Mark Batterson has this little formula, and I know I keep quoting him, but that's because I want you to take the study, uh, and it's good. So, but he has this formula that I like. He says, change of pace plus change of place equals a change of perspective. Equals a change of perspective, and we already talked about the benefit of a change in perspective. And so decide now, when will you pray, and then where will you pray? whether your bedroom, your kitchen table, a lunch hour spot, or even just making the most out of that daily commute in your car. You could use that as a time of prayer. And then lastly, how? How do we pray? And we're gonna give attention to that in our small group study as well as in the weeks ahead. Uh, But just to get us started going today, uh, interesting, the disciples asked Jesus that exact same question. They said to Jesus, Lord, would you teach us to pray? to which Jesus responds with what we now know as the Lord's Prayer. And while the Lord's Prayer is a prayer that can be prayed outright, which we do regularly and just did a little bit ago, it can also be understood as a model prayer. That as you break it down, you can see the various conversation points that Jesus instructs us to be able to have and should be having with him on a regular basis. And so maybe you could look at the Lord's Prayer this way. Again, this is a way to pray. It's not the only way, but it's a way that could get you started today. And so could think of it, we've got the first line that our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Really, that gets us started with that very first point of prayer, of recognizing who it is we're even talking with. The God of the universe, holy is his name. He's good, he's good to us, and we just start by giving him thanks for who he is. Then from there, out of the overflow of that, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, Simply ask God to reveal his will for you, that he wants you to live in your life. Then give us today our daily bread. Tell God specifically, with great detail, what it is you need today. Don't let that be general. What is it you need him to provide for you to make it through uh, this day? As uh, Jesus actually says later on, that uh, tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. And so what are you asking God to provide for you to get through this day? From there, forgive us our debts. A debt is another way of understanding our sin. Confess your sins, and then more importantly, receive his forgiveness that has already been made available to you in Jesus Christ. As we forgive our debtors, ask God to help you forgive whoever it is you need to forgive, just as he has forgiven you. He will help you with this. And then, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so simply, with great specificity, whatever it is you struggle with, whatever your vice, your temptation, ask God that day to help you. As it says in his word many times over, he will show you a way to stand up under those temptations, a way out of those temptations. Ask him to do that work, not in your strength, but by the power of his Holy Spirit in the temptations that you face. And then we recognize that all of this is to further his kingdom only by his power. And for all of it, we give him the credit. We give him the glory. Amen. Or, yes, please. Yes, please.
And so as we now move as a church into this season of prayer together where we're going to encircle our world, our community, our church, and our families and friends, I want to take it down to the closest, most important prayer to start us all off uh, by sharing this story with you as we venture out to pray for these various circles. Uh, And that is, um, back in the late 1800s, there was an evangelist, a guy by the name of Gypsy Smith, who, just a quick bio, he had never had a day of formal education in his life, yet he lectured at Harvard. He literally grew up in a tent, but was invited by two presidents to the White House. He crossed the Atlantic Ocean 45 times, preached to millions of people, and never preached where someone did not give their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so you can quickly understand he was someone that was powerfully used in his generation. And so given this, one day a delegation came to him, came to ask Gypsy how it was that they too could make a difference in their community the way that Gypsy had made such a difference in his life. And here's what he told them. He told them this. He said, go home. Go home and lock yourself in your bedroom. Then take a piece of chalk and draw a circle on your bedroom floor. And then kneel inside that circle and pray brokenly and fervently that God would send a revival. Pray that God would send a revival in that circle. First Christian Church, go home. Not yet, but in a few moments. Go home and whether literally or figuratively, draw that circle around your life and start and discover what God first wants to do in and through you that out of the overflow of that, might discover what he wants to do in and through you, in your friend's life, in your family's life, in our church, in our community, and even to the ends of the earth. And so we pray revival for each of us as individuals. And so uh, with that, I invite you to stand with me. And rather than understand that we are closing the service in prayer, uh, I'd rather think of it as now let's start our church in prayer as we venture into this season together. And so would you pray with me? Father, we recognize, uh, I wanna recognize, as as Mike even said at the beginning of the service, that uh, you are here, you are present, and it is us that needs to become present to your existence already in our lives. And so Father, we pray, we pray for revival for each and every individual uh, present here this morning that out of the overflow of that, we would see what you want to do for your kingdom only by your power and all for your glory, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, as you go, don't go yet. Um, One more thing.
to steal from Steve Jobs. Uh, as you go, um, it's not as cool as an iWatch but, or Apple Watch, but anyway, as you go, there will be some ushers in the back of the room uh, with baskets with pieces of chalk. We want every single one of you to take a piece of chalk, and again, whether you literally draw a circle or maybe just the best thing would be just to put it in your where and when as a prompt, as a reminder to actually pray as a result of being here together that you might not otherwise had had you not been here today. And we see what God wants to do in us and through us as a church.